Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome to our church podcast. As you know, we want to help you get the most out of the new year, so we've come up with a way to help you engage with our content in a unique way. It's called 90, because believe it or not, there are 90 days between January 1st and Easter. So over these 90 days, we're going to journey through the life of Jesus every Sunday and then give you a chance to dive in deeper during the week through two additional connecting points designed to challenge and perhaps change you. To find out how you can get connected and sign up for the additional content, just go to 90.today. That's 90.today, 90.today. Well, the following presentation is actually part of the 90-day content, and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Here we go. Now, when you begin reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' life, when you begin reading the Gospels, one thing becomes abundantly, abundantly clear, which is really good news for all of us. And what is abundantly clear when you read the accounts of Jesus' life is this, that being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it is a prerequisite. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, yeah, we don't usually do that. Yeah, exactly. So if you're gonna be a Jesus follower and you're thinking, yeah, but my past and what I've done and what I think about and where I've been, the good news is this. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you meet his followers, and we're gonna meet a couple today, when you meet his followers, you realize that being a sinner and having a past and stuff you're embarrassed about and hope nobody ever finds out and wonder if you'll ever be in a meaningful relationship because of your baggage or whatever, it doesn't disqualify you. It's actually a prerequisite and it even gets any better. It gets better because being an unbeliever or not believing or not knowing what to believe or not sure you believe what everybody is saying about Jesus, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus either. Because all of his followers, all of his followers, and we'll see this in a few weeks, all of his followers unbelieved in the end. They believed and they disbelieved and there's a scene in John chapter six where they decide, I don't think we can do this anymore and Jesus called them on it. They're like, all right, you know, we'll give it one more shot. So they're in and they're out and they're questioning and they're doubting and in the end, they all press unfollow, every single one of them. So as you, seriously, you're gonna see, as you're deciding where you stand with Jesus and as you're deciding, you know, what do I believe and what do I not believe? The good news is this, with your doubts, with your questions, you can begin following Jesus. That's great news. Now, um, in terms of Jesus' first century followers, it was quite an assortment of people. Um, as we're gonna see today, there were small business owners, a couple of IRS agents, um, some patriots, some people that just were all for Israel and all against Rome and wanted Rome to be gone and thought maybe Jesus is gonna help us, you know, kind of get a movement going that expels Rome. There were men, there were women, there were blue collar, there were white collar, they were not so educated. And then I, I highlighted this, there were some very, very educated people that followed Jesus. And the reason this is a big deal is because in college, you were told one of the reasons that we know for certain that the apostles and eyewitnesses did not write Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is because it's written in Greek. These were poor, ignorant fishermen who wrote, who spoke in Aramaic. They couldn't even write in their own language. They couldn't even write in the language of their people, Hebrew. So how in the world did they write these sophisticated texts in Greek? Therefore, we know they didn't actually write them. And this is not information that can be trusted. And it wasn't written till many, many generations after the events. The problem is when you actually read the gospels, you discover some very educated people follow Jesus. In fact, in Matthew, here's something we just completely gets overlooked. One day a guy comes to Matthew, the guy sees me, one day a guy comes to Jesus, Matthew records this, and he says to Jesus, I'm a scribe. I will follow you everywhere you go. 
Well, a scribe was an educated person that actually could read and write and generally knew at least two languages and maybe three. So this whole idea is just a bunch of ignorant people following Jesus, and so consequently the literature we have in the New Testament can't be trusted. I'm telling you, that is old, 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 and there's really nothing to substantiate that. We'll talk about that at a different day. So you have all kinds of people following Jesus. And so today we're gonna meet some of his earliest followers and we're gonna meet some of his most famous followers. Now, if this is your first time to tune in or to watch this series, let me catch you up real quick. Previously on 90, John the Baptist shows up on the banks of the Jordan River. He draws a big crowd and then he draws that big crowd's attention to Jesus. And just when we think Jesus is gonna start this big public ministry with this big crowd, Jesus disappears into the wilderness and wrestles with the tempter, with the accuser, with Satan, and basically wrestles with something he would wrestle with his entire ministry. And that's this, whose kingdom is this about? Am I gonna truly embrace the values of the kingdom of God or am I gonna embrace the values of the kingdoms of this world? And then after that season of being tempted, that would continue throughout his time on planet Earth, the text tells us that he went back up north to Galilee, closer to where he was from, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. I mean, everybody came out to see Jesus because everybody had come out to see John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, here he is. So everybody that thought John the Baptist was a big deal, now they're like, this is the one that John the Baptist told us about. So now Jesus is a really, really, really big deal. So one day after church or after synagogue, a guy named Simon Peter, who's not famous at the time, he's just a guy in the community, invites Jesus of Nazareth home for lunch and on their way home after you know for lunch he says Jesus oh yeah I have a little bit of an agenda my mother-in-law has a fever and it just won't go away we're wondering if you could you know could you address that and Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law on the Sabbath but it's a big secret because you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath well news begins to leak out in the community and that night when the sun went down and Sabbath was officially over the text tells us at sunset the people brought Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one. And again, we read right past this, but this was so significant because in this day and age, in this generation, in this faith system, you were not supposed to touch sick, especially dying people, especially people who had physical uh, manifestations of an illness. You were not supposed to touch them because the idea was you would be contaminated. Now they didn't understand germs, but there was a little bit of truth to that. Jesus, on the other hand, would intentionally touch sick people and instead of him receiving the Ill illness, they would receive healing. This was overwhelming. And the reason, we'll talk about this later if we have time, the reason Jesus healed people wasn't just to make people well. The reason that Jesus healed people is because in that culture, as is the case in our culture, people associated sin with sickness, sin with sickness. How can you tell if a person has the power to forgive sin? You can't tell. But if someone can touch a person who is sick and sin is related to sickness, if you can heal someone and make them physically well, then you have just given me a big clue that you might have the power to heal my relationship with my heavenly father because sin and sickness all went together. So Jesus begins healing people, laying his hands on each one of them. And this sets the stage for what's 
next, okay? Now, there's two versions of what comes next. Matthew gives us a version, and Luke gives us a version, and they both tell us the truth, but Luke gives us a little bit more detail about how Jesus called his very first followers, the four guys that, you know, were at the sort of the top of the rank and ranking in terms of Jesus' early followers. Matthew's version goes kind of like this. One day, Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees a guy named Peter and Andrew who are fishing, and he says to Peter and Andrew, Come follow me. And all at once, with you know, no further uh, kind of invitation or inclination that he was gonna make this call, at once they left their nets and they followed him. So they're walking along and then they see James and John and they're out in a boat fishing with their father. And Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew says, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Like, hey dad, have fun storming the castle. You know, we're leaving. Good luck with the fishing business. I know you raised us to take the business over one day, but we're actually leaving. We hope that works out for you. And when you read Matthew's account, not only is it unrealistic, it's actually, it seems kind of irresponsible. And yet I, I grew up sometimes hearing preachers kind of make a big deal out of this. You just need to follow Jesus and just give up everything and just follow Jesus. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And there was kind of always this guilt trip. You know, you just need to give up everything and follow Jesus. And look what these guys did. They just gave up everything and follow Jesus. But honestly, who, who would do that? And Luke, who wrote to us, more of a non-Jewish audience, realized we may have some questions. And so Luke, who gives us extraordinary detail, Luke is a historian's dream. Luke gives us the backstory as to why this happened and how it happened. And he confirms Matthew's story, but again, he gives us a little bit of the backstory. So here's Luke's account of what Matthew just told us. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, just a different name, one day as he's standing there uh, by the lake, people were crowding around him because everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd, crowding around him, listening to the word of God. And we stumble upon something that's very, very, very important, especially if you're new to faith, considering faith, or aren't sure you ever want to consider faith. And that's simply this, that Christian faith, not all religious faith and not all religions, but when it comes to Christianity, Christian faith begins with information. It does not begin with faith. It doesn't begin with faith. Christianity is an informed, evidence-based faith. In fact, I I would say this, and I I realize I'm kind of meddling, but if you're in any kind of church or any kind of religious system, maybe another religion, but even in a Christian church, if you can't question it, you should probably consider leaving it. If you can't question it, you should probably consider leaving it even if it's a Christian church because the authentic version of Christianity can be questioned because it began with information. It didn't begin with faith. You become a Christian by faith. You do not become a Christian because of faith. Following Jesus does not begin with faith. It does not begin with Belief. Remember John the Baptist, week one, John the Baptist is teaching and preaching and Jesus shows up and remember what John the Baptist said? We've gone over this twice, this will be the third time. He doesn't say believe. He says, what did he say? Come on, start to the now. Look, thank you. He said, look, here comes Jesus. I just want you to look. I want you to look and I want you to begin to follow. And if you look and if you follow and if you pay attention, perhaps one day it will dawn on you that this is something you can believe. 
So Jesus is teaching. People are getting information, but they're crowding, crowding, crowding. He's stepping back, he's stepping back. The crowd is closer, closer, closer. Next thing you know, he's standing in the edge of the lake and he's thinking this isn't gonna work too well. I'm not ready to do that walk on water thing yet. So we need to um, make an adjustment. So he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And the reason they're washing their nets is because they'd already been fishing. This was mid-morning, maybe late morning. You fish at night because the water's cool. The fish come to the surface to feed on the surface. When the sun rises, the water gets warm and the fish go deeper, so you fish with nets at night. So they have already been fishing. They are you know, pulling out their nets. They're taking out, get all the beer cans and all the junk out of the nets, stretching them out, drying the nets. Then they roll them up. They've been out fishing all night. Then they take a break, cleaning and drying the nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, Simon Peter, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Hey, let's just, you know, eight, 10, 12 yards from the shore. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So now they can come right to the water's edge. He's got a little distance, you know, they're, they're on the bank of, of the, the Sea of Galilee and it's kind of a cool teaching environment. And Luke gives us all these details. And it's not just Peter who's listening. We know that Andrew, James, and John are also listening. And when Jesus finishes his sermon, he gives an invitation, but he doesn't give an, a come forward invitation. He gives a let's go fishing invitation. And he says this, the text says this, when he had finished speaking, so they've heard and heard, there's all this information. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and he makes a very unexpected, somewhat irrational, but doable request. Something that, that Simon was absolutely capable of doing, even though it was a little odd. And, and he doesn't say, I want you to abandon your family and abandon the family business and follow me. He, he gives Simon Peter a baby step. He says, hey, since we're already out here, let's put out into the deep water and let's let down the nets for a catch, which is simple. I mean, this is something he can do, except that we just cleaned and are drying the nets and Simon answered him probably like we would and he uses this very interesting term and Luke is the only one that uses this term I think to refer to Jesus. It's not, it's not rabbi, it's not Lord, we get to that later. It's, it's a sign of respect. Okay, master, uh, master, um, we just, you know, so you know, we've worked hard all night. In other words, we're tired. We're at the end, we're not at the beginning. And you notice we have washed our nets. If we drop them into the water, we're gonna have to rewash them and start all over and it kind of interrupts the whole thing. And, and besides that, just so you know, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. We haven't caught anything when you're supposed to fish. What are the odds of us catching anything when you're not supposed to fish? And if my recollection is correct, you're a carpenter, right? <laughs> so I'm sure you know all about being a carpenter and it's okay, I'm not being critical that you don't know anything about fishing. And besides that, Jesus, you've drawn quite a crowd. People are watching. They're going to watch me fish in the middle of the day and catch nothing. And then here's the transition point. And if I could invite all of you on the edge, all of you who've walked away but are considering coming back, all of you, your Christianity's gotten a little flat, a little boring, you know, the songs, you know, everything's going fine, but there's no, there's no grit anymore. This is, this, is the, this is the tension. This is the transition point. This would change everything for Peter. It's inconvenient, I don't understand, there's no guarantee this is gonna work out, but because you say so, I mean, you healed my mother-in-law. I probably owe you this. 
Because you say so. This doesn't make any sense. But because you say so, it's gonna cost me. It's probably gonna cost me a day, which means it's gonna probably cost me some money. It's gonna cost me a little reputation. But because you say so. Okay, I will let down the nets. Now, this is the big pause in the story. Okay, so look up here if you haven't been paying attention. But come back, okay? Look, this is amazing. Okay, think of what they didn't know. They, they had no idea, and I know I say this all the time, I'm gonna continue saying it all the time. They had no idea what hung in the balance of this decision, right? If they had not met and decided to follow Jesus, these guys would just be forgotten, nameless, first century fishermen that amounted to nothing other than they just, you know, when I say nothing, I mean nobody would know their name. They wouldn't be remembered. They would just be somebody else who came and went in the first century, Peter, Peter didn't know about this. Check this out. Peter didn't know about this. Have you been to this, the, the, the Basilica of St. Peter in Rome? Okay, let me just tell you, I've been three times. Every time I go there, um, let's go to that next picture. I, I literally, I literally, when I can, I lay down on the floor and look up and they don't like you to do that. It's like, sir, you're gonna have to get off the floor. And I go, I know, I can't speak. You know, I, I just, it's, it, I'm telling you, if you ever go there, I promise, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. You want to lay down on the floor and you look up at this magnificent building and you think to yourself, I don't know how they could construct such a building now. I can't imagine how they did it at the beginning of the 16th century. It took 120 years to build this building. This is over supposedly the tomb of St. Peter. There was already a little basilica, a little kind of cathedral, not really more of a little church there. And then they came along the 16th century and they built this. I mean, it just, it's just beyond the word magnificent. And the other cool thing about this, it's built right over Nero's circus. Nero's circus was the arena where Nero fed Christians to lions, wrapped them in animal clothes, and fed them to wild beasts, impaled them on stakes, put tar in their hair, lit them on fire. I mean, this was sort of the first almost official persecution of Christians, and this building is built on that site, probably in the vicinity where both Peter and possibly Paul were executed. Now, Peter didn't know anything about that. Peter's like, oh, man, I'm gonna lose a day of wages, People are gonna think I'm crazy. They, he had no idea what hung in the balance to take, not follow me, leave everything, just take me fishing. That's all I'm asking, just take me fishing. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, it's weird, but just trust me. Will you trust me with this, Peter? Will you take me fishing? You've heard me teach. You know I'm you know, probably from God, I'm at least a prophet. Would you trust me with this little itty bitty thing? Now here's what I would say to you, and then we're gonna get back to the story. Here's what I know for sure about you, and for me. We, we, we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our decision to say yes to whatever it is that God wants us to do next. Not only do we not know what what hangs in the balance, we don't know who hangs in the balance. We don't know what relationship you will never have. You don't know what relationship you will miss. You don't know what joy that you'll never participate in by saying no to a simple invitation to take the next step. And that's true for all of us, and that's true for all of us our entire lives. In fact, some of you, come on, your Christianity is a little flat, it's a little boring. You got it all under control, you know, you got it all working, everything's fine, but it's a little boring. 
And every once in a while, you're challenged to get out of your comfort zone and you talk yourself out of it. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to do something uncomfortable that you feel prompted in your heart to do. Okay, back to the story. When they had done so, so they do this. It's like, okay, we'll go fishing. They get out there. It's like, hey, y'all, Jesus, could you at least dismiss the crowd before we do this? It's just embarrassing, okay? Everybody in this community, this is a fishing community. They, They know this is crazy. They drop the nets. And when they had done so, when they had done so, not when they had believed so, not when they had considered, not when they thought, not when they felt guilty about, not when they prayed about it, when they acted on what Jesus asked them to do, because throughout his teaching ministry, Jesus says, it's not enough to listen, it's not enough to listen, it's not enough to listen. Listen, listening makes no difference. Doing makes all the difference. Listening is like unapplied paint. It doesn't help anything. It's the application, it's applying the paint that makes the difference, it's applying the teaching that makes the difference. And Jesus says, and the text says, when they had done so, when their faith, okay, we're gonna give this a shot, when their faith intersected with the character and the faithfulness of Jesus, everything changed. The text says they caught, you've heard this story, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners, the other two guys, they signaled for their partners to, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, both boats so full of fish that both boats began to sink with all the weight. And when Simon Peter saw this, he cried out, we are rich. We won't have to work for weeks. And immediately, immediately, Peter offered Jesus a seven-year contract. ownership of the company with a seven-year non-compete upon termination of the contract by either party. (laughs) Peter's only concern, Peter's only concern was, will this model scale? (laughs) Get it? You got it? Scale? Okay. Just want to keep everybody, you're like, I should read the Bible. No, I made all that up. It's not in the Bible. Some of you are like, wow. Come on, before we, before we look at this, what would you do? Peter, Peter does exactly what I would do. Peter does exactly, I think, what you would do. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell. Jesus knees. Suddenly, fish is the furthest thing from his mind. That's like, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, and he didn't say, oh, that's so cool, you know. Who's gonna clean all these? No, he didn't say that. He said, go away from me. New title. Lord, why a new title? Did Jesus become something that Jesus wasn't before? In one sense, no, and one sense, yes. Suddenly, it's a title of authority. Suddenly, it's a a title of ownership. And, And why would he say, go away from me, Lord? Well, Peter tells us. He says, because I am a sinful man. I mean, we may be inches apart, but we're nowhere close. Because his assumption was the assumption of the community. His assumption was the assumption of first century Judaism. His assumption was that God distances himself and keeps himself distant from sinners. And Peter is suddenly confronted with, this isn't just a great teacher. He's not even just a great miracle worker. This person, whoever this is, is somehow from God and he's way closer to God than he is to me and I have no business even being in the presence, much less in the boat with this 
man. Because God distances himself from sinners. The religious leaders of that day and age certainly distanced themselves from sinners. Jesus had come to reverse all of that. This was brand new. Because Jesus had come to establish a brand new kind of relationship between God and mankind and being a sinner was a prerequisite. And little did Peter know that Jesus had come to establish a brand new covenant governed by a brand new ethic that would be part of this brand new movement and Peter himself would actually be the first person in history to speak the definition the rallying point, the thing that everyone would have in common in this brand new movement that would eventually be called the church. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. For he and all of his companions, duh, were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, well, something he would say to these guys over and over and over and over, and they would usually be on the water when he said it. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now that you've seen me heal, now that you have seen me control nature, there is nothing to be afraid of if you are with me. And then Jesus, I think he breaks out into this giant grin. And he says, from now on, from now on, I've got plans for you, boys. You you have no idea, but from now on, you will fish for people. Let's go change the world together. So they pulled up their boats to shore and they left everything. And these four guys would die with nothing including regret. Wow. And they followed him. And they followed him. And you would have too. And I would have too. And your mom and dad would have said, no, seriously, we'll, we'll hi- go, go, follow him. And, and according, and, and, and the, the tension for us is, well, yeah, yeah, if, if, if God or Jesus would do something like that for me, I would follow him. And here's what Peter would say to us today. I'm sure of it. Peter would say, what? We'd say, no, Peter, see, Peter, if if Jesus did something like that for me or for us, we would follow him too. And Peter would be like, seriously? Wait, wait, what? Yeah, Peter, see, if, if we experienced something like that, we would follow Jesus. And Peter would look at us and say, what? What, what? He did a fish trick for me. That's all he did. He did a fish trick for me. Do you know what he did for you? You should know what he did for you. I dictated a letter to you. Have you read my letter? In fact, I dictated two letters to you. Have you read my letters? Not the Bible, that's 300 years later. The letters that Peter who decided to follow Jesus, not because Jesus had followed me and they had nothing better to do, who followed Jesus because Jesus did something so amazing, who wouldn't follow him? The Jesus who said, let me give you some evidence. Look, 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 watch, 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 watch. Listen, 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 you got enough evidence? Then take a baby step and take me fishing. Okay, you got a little bit more evidence? Follow me. 
That very same Peter wrote a letter to first century Christians and the first century Christians thought it was so valuable, guess what they did with it? They meticulously, username and password carefully, copied it down. And if you have a Bible, you have a letter from this guy and he would look at you and look at me and say, seriously, you're not following Jesus? Are you kidding? He did a fish trick for me. Do you know what he has done for you? Let me tell you, and he, maybe he'd read from, to us from his letter, so I will. When, when they had hurled their insults at him, he, Jesus, did not retaliate. Peter would say, I saw this with my own eyes. I saw this with my own eyes. I saw him taken, I saw him arrested, I saw him beaten, I saw him crucified. And maybe Peter would say, have you ever seen a crucifixion? To which we would say no. Have you ever smelled a crucifixion? To which we would say no. Have you ever heard the screaming of a fully grown man who knows that it's gonna take hours for him to hang here and die. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that? To which we would say, no, we're not even sure we wanna know the details. Peter would say, look at me, I've been there and I've seen it. I saw my friend Jesus crucified. And when he suffered, he made no threats. I'm telling you, he would say, this is, this is unbelievable. Nobody did this. They screamed to die. They screamed, they hurled insults at everybody in the vicinity. They called for their mothers. And my friend Jesus hung there and did none of that. I saw this. Instead, he entrusted himself. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And to us, it was the most unjust act imaginable. But it was as if he just somehow knew this was part of some master plan. And then later, not in the moment because it was too emotional and we were so embarrassed and Peter would say to us, and I was the most embarrassed of all because I ran, when he was arrested, I ran. And when somebody thought I might be one of his followers, I denied that I even knew his name and now I'm on the edge of the crowd with my hoodie up, watching, hoping I'm not recognized and I'm watching this man that was no mere man die and later it dawned on us that he bore our sins in his body on that cross so that we might die we, as in all of us, would have the opportunity to die to sins. What does that mean? It means this, this is so powerful. It means instead of being dead to, instead of being dead to, instead of being separated from God, like we'd always been told that sin separates us from God, it forever separates us from God, that God is so holy, we're so not holy, and you know, we can pray to God and hope the best, but we can never, we can never have actual intimacy or relationship with God. He said, because of Jesus, because he took our sin, we died to separation from God. We are now dead to the being separated, we're dead to the separating power of sin. And so now we have an opportunity not only to have a relationship with God, Peter takes it one step further and he says this, and to live for righteousness, that we now have the invitation and permission to live fearlessly. Because when your best friend, when your savior has harnessed the power of nature and has overcome the power of disease, what is there to fear? And now with fearless living, Facing life with no fear, we can live right. We can live good. We can live others first. We can live out and embrace the values of the kingdom of God. He says, that's not all. 
Since you didn't read it, let me read it to you. By his wounds, by his wounds, by his physical wounds, you, 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 me. Peter says, you you should know. By his wounds, you have been healed. That is, you've been restored. You've been made right with God. Fish tricks, that's nothing. Surrendering to crucifixion for the sins of other people, that's massive. And you on the other side of all that aren't following? I mean, come on, no mere mortal. I'm telling you, he would say, I was there. When Judas showed up with the temple guard, we knew it was a big deal. We knew it was trouble. We knew for sure maybe we're gonna run for our lives. And I watched Jesus walk up to his betrayer and turn himself in knowing where it would lead. No mere mortal would do that. Fish tricks, nothing. He gave his life for you. You should follow him. When Peter, when Peter made that simple, I can do this baby step decision to put his, to get in the boat and say, okay, we're gonna drop the next. This is, this is, this is the Jesus way, what I'm about to explain. This is the gospels, this is throughout. It was a baby step. His faith, okay, I'm gonna take a chance, intersected with God's faithfulness, with Jesus' faithfulness, and everything changed. That is the way it works. It is small steps, small steps, baby steps. And so I have to ask you, I think Peter would ask you. I mean, I think Peter would be like, what? I mean, you're on the other side of the resurrection and you're still not following this guy? Who are you following? I mean, come on, who's made you a better offer? Jesus, Peter would say, one day I was about to leave and then I realized, okay, who's offering me eternal life? That would be no one. And yeah, this is difficult and challenging. So, what's your next step? For some of you, it's just coming back to faith. You've just been putting it off and putting it off and you're embarrassed and what are you gonna tell your friends? Come on, you know, your next step, you just need to come back to faith. For some of you, you, got, you there's somebody out there and there's a broken relationship and you know it's enough of your fault that your time, you, gotta, you gotta deal with that, you gotta confess. It's not all your fault, it's never all our fault. But every time you pray and every time you kinda do the God thing, it's like, oh yeah, her, oh yeah, him. You just need to go do that, need to go take care of that. For some of you, it's reconciling a relationship. You just need to take care of it, quit putting it off. For some of you, it's moral purity. You have so embraced the the sexual ethic of this culture and it is eating you alive. Come on, you are not happy. I mean, you're having fun, but you are not happy and it is eating away on the inside and your heavenly father who loves you is saying, come on, I want you to follow me and I want you to walk away from all that. You need to take a year off of dating. You just need to not date for a year. You've been thinking about that anyway. You've heard us talk about that. And it's like, okay, that, Jesus is saying, come on. I'm not asking you to leave the family business. I'm just asking you to take a year off and get your heart and your mind recentered on what I want for you. For some of you, it's serving because life is so comfortable for you and it's kind of, Christian life's kind of got boring for you and you need to get out of your comfort zone and to do something unusual that's gonna stretch you and make you pray hard. And for some of you, your life is stuff and you have such a hard time letting go of your stuff 
and you felt it for a long time, it's time for me to figure out how to be more of a giver. Not necessarily to a local church, just in my life. I've got everything I need, I've got more than I need, and I'm so afraid something bad's gonna happen. And your Heavenly Father's going, you're afraid something's bad's gonna happen? You know who has control over bad things happening? Okay, come on, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid? Are you gonna live your whole life afraid? Of something you have no control over? Jesus says, come on, come on. Follow me because you don't know. You don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to say yes. You don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to say yes to the next thing your heavenly father is prompting you to do. Well, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content on this message and all the messages that we're doing between now and Easter, I want to invite you again to go to 90.today. That's 90.today and sign up. At 90.today, you'll find a host of different ways to engage deeper with our church and the extraordinary life of Jesus. We'll see you next time.